Hey folks, great to be with you today, whether you're joining us live online or you're listening to the podcast some other time. Welcome. My name is Jason Wolliver. I'm the directing pastor here at Crossroads Global Methodist Church. And today we are continuing in our fall message series through the New Testament letter of 1 John, written by the Apostle John around 90 A.D., And today we're starting in chapter 2, verse 28, and going through chapter 3, verse 10. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Hear this reading from God's Word. John writes, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that you would open our hearts to understand your word, that you would Give us a vision of your love for us. Let us feel your strength and your power and conviction today. In Jesus' name, amen. So ever since my oldest daughter started college as a freshman at Illinois State University a couple of months ago, I've been really reminiscing about when I started college 30 years ago. Yes, it's true. It was three decades ago that I started college. Now, a little background. I grew up in Charleston, Illinois, and started playing guitar at the age of 12, and I started taking guitar lessons. I just wanted to be a rock and roll guitarist. But a couple years later, I started taking jazz guitar lessons as well. My jazz teacher told me about this really amazing guitar professor at Northern Illinois University. His name was Fareed Hawk, and he was a virtuoso in both jazz and classical guitar. 
Fareed Haq had recorded with Sting and had a recording contract with Blue Note Jazz Label, which was a big deal. So when I was doing college visits, I visited Northern and I ended up auditioning for the guitar program. And I've been thinking about that quite a bit. I really feel that I probably wasn't qualified to get accepted into that program. I did not have adequate skills in either jazz or classical guitar. I didn't know any classical guitar pieces. In order to audition, I played an original song that I had written for my girlfriend. I kid you not. And some other people that auditioned didn't get in. It's one of those many times in my life where I felt like I got grace extended to me and I received something that I didn't deserve. But after those of us that got accepted started in the program, it was expected that we practice. If we showed up to a lesson or a class or a master's class without practicing what we were supposed to, it never went well. I have one specific memory of a hard conversation that Fareed and I had. I was a junior in college, and for spring break, I'd gone on this road trip to Florida with my brother and five of our friends. We had jammed ourselves into a minivan and lived out of that van for a week. And so, of course, I didn't practice guitar while I was gone. But when I got back from spring break, I was telling Fareed about the trip, and he asked me if I practiced. I said, no, I couldn't practice. I was stuffed into this van. In my mind, it was a perfectly logical reason for blowing off my responsibilities as a guitar student. For him, it didn't resonate. It was irresponsible. I got into the program. It was expected that I would apply myself and get better. In our scripture today, in 1 John, we find two very significant thoughts which we need to let sink in. First, in his love, God has adopted us as his children. Second, God expects us now, as his children, to practice righteousness. So, 1 John 3, 1, one of my favorite Bible verses it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. What kind of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. But in truth, one of the most confusing phrases in Christianity is this phrase, children of God. The confusion comes around who are children of God. It's been very common in modern mainline and progressive Christianity to say that everyone is a child of God. And that sounds beautiful. It's a way of saying that every human being is created in God's image and is precious in his sight and is a member of God's family. And it sounds very mean-spirited to say that everyone is not a child of God. It sounds like you're being mean to people. However, just because something sounds nice, that doesn't make it true. The scriptures do teach that we were all created in the image of God and that we are precious in God's sight, but the scriptures do not teach that we are all children of God by birth. 
What does the most famous verse in the Bible say? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It doesn't say he gave his favorite son or his most powerful son. He gave his only son. But God gave his only son so that although we aren't children of God by birth, we could become adopted children of God through faith. This is what it says about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Where do we gain the right to become children of God? Through repenting of our sin and putting our faith in Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. Paul said in Galatians 3.26 to the Christians in Galatia, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So through faith in Jesus, we who were alienated from God become his adopted sons of daughters. And the price of our adoption was nothing less than the shed blood of the only begotten of the Father. You know, Janice and I don't have any adopted children of our own, but I know several people who have adopted children and others who are in the process. And the process of adopting a child can be a very long and expensive process. I was reading that in general, it costs between twenty dollars and $50,000 to adopt a child. It can take anywhere from several months to several years. I have friends who have traveled to the other side of the globe to adopt a child. It's an amazing act of love when someone goes through the process and the expense of adopting a child. It's one of the most beautiful things on earth. But the most powerful display of adoptive love in the universe was portrayed through the cross of Jesus. And God paid that cost while we were still the worst kind of people, while we were still spitting in the face of God with our thoughts, words, and deeds. It says in Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Were we children of God before he died for us? No. Were we so loved? Yes. Now, many of you have heard me talk about my dog, Titus. He is definitely my favorite non-human person, the best pet I've ever had. But let me tell you about the first pet Janice and I ever had. And that was a black and white cat named Gabby. And Gabby was just mean. We got her from some kids in our youth group who had a litter of kittens and were giving them away. Gabby was so cute, but she scratched and bit a lot. We got her during my second year of seminary, and I used to have to wear long sleeves to class to cover up all the scratch marks from where Gabby had drawn blood on my arms. At first, it was cute when she would bite our fingers, but as she got stronger, it got less cute. And she was so unpredictable. She would be sitting on your lap purring, and all of a sudden she'd turn and bite you real hard, break skin, and run away. Some friends said, you really need to get two kittens at once so that they can learn from one another what appropriate play is. So we got a second cat. 
that only made Gabby a million times angrier. After we started having kids, we got really nervous about having Gabby around. She would draw blood on everyone but the babies, and it didn't feel safe. So we tried to find another home for her multiple times, but no one will take a cat that bites. There's a farmer who said we could let her go at his barn, but that she'd probably be eaten by coyotes within just a couple of days. Gabby was so cute, but it was so stressful. I was thinking about Gabby this week because she's kind of like what the human race is like. We bite and scratch one another. We blow one another up. We have God's instructions about how to live with one another, how to live toward God, and we ignore them. We do whatever we want. What kind of love would it take for someone to want to adopt a group like us? And yet, God did. God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay our adoption price so that we could be completely forgiven and adopted into his family as his children forever. And when we're adopted as his children, we receive the Holy Spirit of Jesus to live within us, making us new. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, 8, verses 15 and 16, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are now children of God. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives at our adoption, he begins changing our very nature. We are born again of the Spirit. The seed of God comes to dwell within us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And as God makes us new, he gives us new desires to live differently and the power to live differently. We don't have to live like my wicked cat Gabby anymore. We can become more and more like my perfect dog, Titus. And John is saying that if we say we're children of God, but keep living like Gabby, we are deceiving ourselves. Now, remember the heresies of Gnosticism that John is combating with this letter. The Gnostics believe that spirit is good, but matter is evil. So since the body is evil, they said it didn't matter what you did with your body. You could be spiritual and live completely sinfully with your body. It wouldn't affect your spirit. So some taught that in order to attain the gnosis or secret knowledge that you needed to transcend your body, you needed to first experience all the depths of sinful human depravity. So this teaching was sneaking into the church, and it's still active in the church today. And Christians were committing all kinds of sexual sins and feeling great about themselves. And God says, this is utter self-deception. Beginning at verse 5, he says, You know that Christ appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. 
No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as Christ is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed now abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning, because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now when people come across passages like this, they start arguing back. Hold on a second. Is this saying that we have to be perfect if we're children of God? That if we have any sin left in our lives and we're not children of God? Is this saying that if you sin after you become a Christian that you lose your salvation? These are important questions. And so we have to remember what John has said thus far. It says in 1 John 1, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we all have sin in our lives. To say we don't have sin is also self-deception. But John says, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we all have sin. The question is, what are we doing with the sin in our lives? When we notice sin, when we find sin, are we confessing it and forsaking it? Or are we celebrating it and savoring it? John is literally saying that no one who continually celebrates and savors what the Bible says is sin is born of God. Now, a lot of folks who say that they're Christian, they practice sin like an athlete practices its, their sport. They get better and better at their sin. They learn how to justify it, how to hide it, how to get away with it, how to fund it. They feed their lust and greed and pride so much rather than trying to eliminate it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the opposite of practicing and perfecting sin is something that John calls practicing righteousness. He says in chapter 2, verse 29, If you know that Christ is righteousness, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born again of Christ. So he says an evidence that someone has been adopted into God's family is that they begin practicing a different way of life than the rest of the world. They seek to conform no longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. So what does it mean to practice righteousness? Let me give you three key ideas. Number one, practicing righteousness means humility and devotion toward God. Toward God, we have humility and devotion. Humility because we remember. We constantly remember that on our own, we are not righteous. But Christ's death on the cross paid for our sins. We remember that we're sinners, and it's only by God's grace that we've been accepted and that we stand before him in prayer and we'll live with him by heaven, in heaven. 
Now, practicing righteousness also means that we actually practices the practices. We practice the ancient practices of Christianity, such as weekly worship, private prayer, meditating and studying God's Word, the Bible, regular service to others through the church. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus was talking about practicing righteousness through prayer, through fasting, and through giving to charities. As we do these things, we do them to be seen not by people, but by God. We're practicing righteousness before God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So practicing righteousness means humility toward God and devotion toward God. Second, practicing righteousness means integrity and kindness toward people. When you're practicing righteousness, you're doing the right thing even when nobody's watching. You do it because it's the right thing, and you're kind and merciful to others. A great description of practicing righteousness is found in Malachi, I'm sorry, Micah chapter 6, verse 8 which says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Number three, practicing righteousness means confession and repentance of sin. A few months ago, I got inspired to start practicing the classical guitar again after taking years off. I went back and found an old VHS video recording of my senior recital that I had to perform as a graduation requirement back when I was 21 years old. And so I watched that and I was amazed. At the end, I thought, I was better than I remember. Now I'm officially out of practice but I'm practicing again, and it's fun going back to the basics, relearning the basics, learning easier pieces of music, and fixing mistakes as I go. I read something that said that 99% of what classical guitarists do is practice. They rarely perform. To be a classical guitarist, you have to love practice. That's mainly what playing classical guitar is. Now, I could simply give up right now because I'm not very good anymore and say, well, I always stink. I'm a stinker. I don't play classical guitar well. That's just who I am. Or I could just practice and get better every day and delight in progress. So far, that's what I'm doing. I'm three months in and check back with me in a year and see how it's going. Friend, God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for our sin. And he accepts us when we repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. When we do, we become adopted children of God, forgiven and filled with the Spirit of God. And then God doesn't expect us to live perfectly, but he does expect us to practice righteousness. 
to start where we are and get better with time. And when we find areas of our lives that need to be fixed, we work on them through confession and repentance. We believe that we can improve because God says we can, and we want to improve because we are so loved by the Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you traveled from one world to the next in your deep love for us to adopt us as children of God. Lord, if there's anyone watching here that has not yet accepted you as Savior and Lord, pray that you'll help them to do that right now. Friend, if you need to accept Jesus in response to the Father's love, just say something like this in your heart to him. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Now I turn from my sin and accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Please forgive me because of his shed blood. Adopt me and make me new and help me to practice righteousness. And now we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us declare together what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.